Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, it's a hard truth to admit, but the vast majority of humanity is going to help. Most of the people who have lived on this earth, most of the people who are living on this earth, most of the people who will live on this earth are going to hell. Now, we don't like to think about that. I think we have this tendency to be almost more compassionate than God himself. So we don't want that. And it's a good thing not to want it, But it's not a good thing not to admit it. It's a good thing to look at the people around you and with an evangelistic fervor, shout to them that they need to repent, that they need to believe in Jesus. Because hell is an awful place. Jesus describes it as kind of a burning trash heap. He calls it Gehenna. Gehenna was literally the dump that was outside Jerusalem and it was always on fire. It's kind of sad when you think about it. That's where Christians got into the business of adoption because people would cast their babies out into the trash heap if they didn't want them and they would burn to death if the Christians couldn't get there in time. Jesus calls hell a place like that. Jesus calls hell a place where the worm doesn't die. Jesus calls hell a place where the fire is constantly licking at your heels. I tell my class, hell is dying, but never dead. I think of, you know, my dad, and and I talk about him a lot, I know, but it's a real thing to watch this man who was so strong in the faith, who was such a dynamic personality in so many ways, at the end when that tumor was taking him, those last few days, all he could do was was look and and cry and, and kind of groan. Who he was just wasn't anymore. His body was failing him. He became so puffy because he was just filled with fluid that he couldn't move anymore. Dying was no fun. But blessedly, our Lord Jesus gave him a good death. And we know that he is in his hands now. Hell, however is constantly being in that state and always getting worse, but never hitting that sweet release. Hell is not a place that we're excited about. Hell is a place that we shouldn't really joke about. Hell is a place that we don't want to be, and we should not want anyone else to be either. But our God is a good God. And he gives to people exactly what they are asking for. When the judgment comes and you stand before Jesus, who is the judge of all men, you will either say, Lord, I am an unworthy sinner. Judge me according to your righteousness and your works. And Jesus will say, I shall. Welcome. Well done. Or you will stand before Jesus when he judges all men and you will say, judge me by my works. 
I was a pretty good person. I think I did pretty all right. You should let me into heaven. Judge me by what I did. And Jesus will say, all right, I will. We talk about this as the separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are those who have faith in Christ. The goats are those who don't. The sheep are the ones who serve Christ in all things, not even knowing that He's the one they're serving. The goats are the ones who do so many of the same works, and yet still without faith can only sin and thus displease God. Those goats go to a place that was not meant for them, but a place that was meant for the devil and his angels. But unfortunately, the vast majority of mankind sides with the demons. That does not mean that very few, as we would think of a very few, are going to be saved. There still are millions and billions of people who believe in Christ. Imagine a house big enough to fit us all. That's a joy. And that's what Jesus describes here then in Luke 13, where there is a master who has a house and he has brought in his people from the north and the south and the east and the west. Now, this is a very weird thought. Isaiah, actually, our reading from Isaiah explains a lot of what's going on here. This north, south, east, west, all these people from around everywhere but Israel God is calling to his holy mountain. What happened upon that holy mountain? The cross. So by the cross, God beckons out to the world, and the world, looking to the cross, believes in him and streams to where he is. Isaiah tells us that even from among these people, God will choose for himself priests and Levites. Now that would have been a very big surprise to anybody who actually paid attention. You had to be born a Levite. You couldn't be made a Levite. Israel is one of these places where you belong to your tribe. And God is saying, I make the tribe. And so he has called all of us from the north and the south and the east and the west. And he has brought us to the place where his cross is in baptism and in the supper and certainly in the word here and here and in the absolution. This is where the cross is. We've streamed into his house. We are the church, his chosen people. And the master shuts the door. Not because he doesn't want any more people in, but to keep the people who he loves safe and secure. He shuts the door to keep out the wolves and the bears and the lions. He shuts the door to keep out the thieves and the robbers. And he looks at you and he says, my children, welcome home. Find your rest here. Lo and behold, There comes a knock at the door. And there the people are standing, not asking, not begging, but demanding, open the door. 
These people are horrible people. You do not look at God and demand anything. Because in that moment, you are placing yourself above him. Making your demands of God is to say, I know better than you. I have in my hands what I need. And what you have, I also need. And so I should take it. When they're pounding on this door, let me in. Open the door. I deserve it. And our master looks at them and says, I don't know where you come from. I'm not going to do it. Now, in the context of the old world, this perhaps would make a whole lot more sense where people are appearing kind of in the darkness and, and you don't open up the gate to the city in the dark. If you have any gate open, it's usually a very small one, right? And some say that's actually the, that eye of the needle, right? Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That eye of the needle, some have said, is a gate that was in Jerusalem. Regardless, they would have had a gate that was very small that could be opened in the night so that a person without weapons, without a pack, without animals, could enter in and be safe in the city just in case something were happening. But our master doesn't allow even for that to happen. You come when he calls you or you miss out. You come when he calls you or you miss out because you're busy doing the things that you want to do. It's kind of like if I call my kids in from outside for dinner and bath and bedtime and all of a sudden a knock comes at the door. Let me in. It's time for me to go to bed. And standing there is a child that I've never seen before. There is no way that I am letting this child in my house to go to bed. I mean... The police will be after me, I'm sure, because now I've kidnapped the child. But I don't know where this kid comes from. And honestly, imagine that there's danger around every corner. Imagine that criminals use children for their purposes. I'm not letting someone that I don't know where they come from into my house with my family to do what they would. So God says, I don't know you. They say, well, you know, we know you. We ate and drank in front of you. You taught all around us. We know you. We've seen you. Nonetheless, the master doesn't know them. So, yes, they ate and drank in front of him, not with him. They ate and drank in front of him, kind of throwing it in his face. They did not drink with him. He preached in their streets, but they weren't there to listen. He does not know them. And he casts them out into the darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
It's not a comfortable thing to talk about, all this hell. It's not a comfortable thing to think that our Lord is going to cast people into the pit. That doesn't seem like the loving, generous God that the world tells us we should believe in. And yet, we believe in a holy God. A God who stands apart. A God who, in other places, has said he is a God afar off. A God who is unapproachable by you until he himself draws near. We believe in a God who is not soft. We believe in a God who is righteous. And so, while it does make us uncomfortable to think of these things, for our Lord, this is a natural extension of his holiness. For he cannot bear sin in his presence without destroying it. And so he casts it away from him. It's easy to think about hell and all the destruction there. We get caught up on that. And and it's good that we do it. Because again, that should strike within you some kind of evangelistic fervor. A desire to go and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that they might be welcomed with you into the house of the Master and not cast out into the darkness. That they would know Jesus as you know your Jesus. But two, Jesus is not just talking about hell, but he is talking about the rest that comes. When you enter into the house of the Lord and you see the prophets, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when you see all those you love who have died in the Lord, when you see all those who you will know for eternity, all those from the east and the west and the north and the south, and all of you, are reclining at table. This is a particular posture. Reclining at table, you're kind of sitting at on, on a low couch with a low table, and everybody's just kind of leaning to the side on the person next to them. You're completely dependent on the person next to you to lift you up. You're completely dependent upon them to bear you up. If they move, if they fail, everything falls apart. Have you seen those chains where you know people kind of stand in a circle and they all slowly sit down on each other's knees? Think of that as reclining at table, where you're all sitting down and you lean over and rest on the person next to you while you eat and you drink. Why would you lean there? Because there's no back to most of their chairs then. So you lean over and you find your rest. So to be reclining at table is literally to be at rest, dependent upon everything being brought to you and dependent on everybody next to you. And so that reclining at table is a wonderful picture of the rest that you will have, the feast that never ends. Jesus does say one thing that's confusing, perhaps, something that we get wrong a lot, something that I know was told to me a lot when I was a kid, and I think it might have been misused. So I'll correct that in a minute. But it's good to focus on the rest of what Jesus says here. Because the rest, I think, is a little easier to understand, even if it is not all that comfortable. 
But Jesus finishes this pericope, this reading, with these words. Behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. I don't know about you, but this was always brought up to me as, well, make sure you put others before you and go last so that ultimately God honors you and you're first, you're elevated, you're lifted up. Jesus talks about that kind of idea elsewhere, but that's not what he means here. He's talking about salvation. Some who are last will be first. Some who have been called after the Jews, after the first Gentiles, after, well, the spread of Christianity throughout Europe and Asia and Africa. Some who are last will be first, for they will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Some who have come to the Lord in the very last times will be the greatest. And I think we can begin to understand that as we see the world crumbling around us more and more. I used to say, I don't know that the world is really getting worse. I think we're knowing a whole whole lot more of it, but I think we're knowing a whole lot more of it, and the world is getting worse. I pray that we're close to the end. I pray that we're close to the day when our Jesus returns. I pray that these are those birth pangs that are strengthening as the labor increases. And the faith that's required of the saints in the last days seems to be even greater than the faith required of the saints in the first. The new generation is coming in to the church. And in them, we will find faith to endure that surprises even our forefathers. Some who are last will be first. And yet still some who are first will be last. Some who heard the call of the gospel at the very earliest times, well, they count themselves least in the kingdom of God. And compared to the faith that's necessary to keep on going, maybe they are. But everybody enters into the house of the master. Everyone by faith enters into God's house. Everyone, by the faith that has been won by Jesus Christ, who believes in him, shall be welcomed into their eternal rest. And my friends, that's you. You are those who have streamed from the north and the south and the east and the west. You have been even this day called into the house of your master. You are safe and secure in this place. For the word of God itself is a lock. It is a lock to the outside world that it cannot get into you. And it is a lock that opens the door to you to get all of the gifts that God would give. And here too you will be strengthened by remembering that you are a baptized child of God. And that you will be strengthened in receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ this day the body and blood of Christ that was crucified for you upon the cross to win for you the forgiveness of your sins and that was resurrected on the third day to give you the promise of eternal life. You, my friends, have been welcomed into the house of your master. Do not fear for yourself that you will find yourselves outside the door. 
Because if you look around, the doors surround you here. You are safe. You are secure in the ark of your master. Pray fervently that he would save all those around you, that we might indeed be with them forever. But have confidence that your Lord has saved you, calling you from around the world to his cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.